All right, let's uh, start with three passages of Scripture. We're going to go uh, to John 14, 18, James 1, 27, and Isaiah 9, 6. Uh, James 1, 27, John 14, 18, and Isaiah 9, 6. And um, I'm going to begin with uh, John chapter 14 and verse 18. John chapter 14, verse 18, and if you know me very well, you know I'm going to have to give this some context, so we'll back up just a little bit, and um, I'll start with verse 12. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you, he that believes on me, the works that I do will he do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. Uh, there's something about Jesus going to his Father that enabled greater works, and works. So it's something about uh, going to the Father. Verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And really, uh, the word for ask there is a better uh, translation is demand. Whatever you demand in my name, that will I do. Well, we're not demanding it of the Lord. We're demanding it of the devil, and we're commanding it. It's kind of like taking your place, like I just was talking about, in your confession that you're saying, oh, no, we're not having that. Uh, you're going to die at a young age because some cancer or something like, oh, no, we are not having that. Why? Because we're so amazing? No, we're really not that amazing. But God loves us. Hallelujah. He's that amazing because of his love, his deliverance, his provision. Uh, your faith will always grow much stronger when you get uh, amazed at how wonderful the Lord Jesus is. That he is the deliverer. He is the savior. He is the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. Uh, he is the one that will give you the best direction for your life. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the creator of all things. And he loves you, and he knows you personally, and he knows exactly what's happening in your life every moment of every day, and he knows what is coming your way before it even comes. And so I think he's a real good person to get acquainted with and to have a relationship with and to spend time with and to talk with, talk things over with, because he can show you everything before it comes to pass. Hallelujah. So uh, whatever you demand in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Listen here, kind of where we're going to zero in today. And I will pray the Father, or I will ask the Father, or pray to the Father, and he will give to you another comforter. Well, he's given another comforter. Well, if he's given another comforter, there must already be a comforter. Who's he talking about? Himself. Jesus is a comforter. Uh, that he may abide or live with you forever, even the spirit of truth or reality whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Our message to the world is to receive Christ, but our message to the church is to receive the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Everybody's quiet today. Praise the Lord. Even the spirit of truth or reality who the world cannot receive. Because it doesn't see him and does not know him. You don't really become what the Bible considers spiritual until you're born again. And then Paul talks about, we, we teach things that are spiritual to spiritual people. 
So uh, the natural mind cannot receive the things of the Spirit because they're foolishness to him. And so uh, the world can't receive those things. Why? Well, because it doesn't see. So the world's kind of going by senses. If I sense this, if I, if I can uh, touch it, feel it, smell it, see it, hear it, well, then I'll, I'll believe it. And, you know, basically a lot through experience, uh, either your own experience or someone else's experience. So even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not and does not know him, but you know him. You know him. Say, I know him. So if you're born again, you do know him. Somebody said, I, I, I don't understand how to be led by the Holy Spirit. Well, if you have received Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit came knocking on your door. And he came upon you, and he says that he will convince the world of sin because they believe not on me. That's what Jesus said. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. One of the main functions, one of the first functions you see the Holy Spirit uh, in the life of an individual. And so uh, the Holy Spirit, you already know him. You already know him. And so um, say, I know him. Imagine what that would do when you went to pray. If you went with that consciousness from your heart. Lord, I, I just, Father God, I thank you that I know you. I know your spirit. I thank you that you hear me when I pray. Well, well what's that? That's called a prayer in faith. You, you express your faith in prayer. You believe it. And you, you don't put up with any doubt that I'm going to pray and not hear from God, or I'm going to pray and he's not going to hear me. No, when I come and I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever you ask the Father in my name, Jesus said later on here, he will give it to you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name. Up till now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive, what? That your joy may be full. <laughs> he wants us full of joy. Amen. He's not happy with us uh, uh, being sad and depressed. That's why Jesus came. But you know him. Why? Because he dwells with you. That's speaking of Jesus. And will be in you. How is Christ in you? Through his spirit. So he's here talking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. My favorite translation of verse 18 is actually the, the Geneva Bible, which I don't think they probably have back there. Um, it's uh, from 1599. That's a long time ago. And uh, this translation says, I will not leave you fatherless. I will not leave you fatherless, but I will come to you. Now, uh, that's the Greek word or orphanos, I believe it is. And that shows up in one other passage in the New Testament. And let's turn over there. That's James chapter 1, verse 27. James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless, that's in the King James, and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Um, Weymouth's translation says, the religious service which is pure and stainless in the sight of our God and Father is to visit fatherless children and widowed women in their time of trouble and to keep one's own self unspotted from the world. 
He's talking about fatherless. That's the same word Jesus used when he said, listen, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you fatherless. I'm not going to leave you orphans. Well, if you, if you did like a, just a, a, a quick study of uh, orphans in the Bible, you'd find out the, the biblical definition of an orphan is to be fatherless. It would include without a mother and a father, but its primary definition is to be without a father. Without the protection, without the provision, without the direction, without the teaching that a, that a father would give. And so um, let's go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this is speaking of Jesus our Lord. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. Listen to this. This is the name of Jesus. The Everlasting, what? Father. The Everlasting Father. Oh, hallelujah. There's an everlasting father. Oh, I got I to gotta get going here. All right, so I, I, you know, I'd read this many times. and uh, So this is kind of like a Father's Day message, but it's also kind of a little intro to our, our new series. And uh, the name of our new series is Encourage. Encourage. Do you know the Holy Spirit is called an encourager? He will encourage you. What does the word encourage mean? Encourage literally, literally means to infuse with courage. To infuse with courage. And so one of the main functions of the Spirit of God is to infuse you with courage. Now, I want, to, I want you to think of every godly father that you've ever known on the earth. And think, what is the role of a father? Well, one of the greatest roles of a father is to infuse with courage. Is to say, hey, I know that hurt. But you don't sit down there and waller in the pain of that. That's not who you are. You rise up. You stand up. You're a strong young lady. You're a strong young man. Right? What's another? You know, I mean, sometimes uh, if uh, the mother ends up staying at home with the children, sometimes uh, that can be a lot of work. <laughs> All day long. And the father gets home. And the mother says something like, you need to do something with your children. <laughs> Suddenly, they're my children. <laughs> you talk to them. Masculinity is a biblical, godly character trait for males. It is a very good thing. And without masculinity, uh, you could see what the world is becoming and turning into. It is very important. And so uh, that doesn't mean that there's not a tender side to men. Jesus was a man. 
And he was the meekest man. What does meekness mean? Well, meekness is simply power under control. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength. But it is actually controlled strength. And so I, I want to read you uh, from William Barclay some definitions of the word uh, parakletos, which is the Greek word for the Holy Spirit, okay? The paraclete, the spirit, is the constant illuminating, strengthening, enabling presence of Jesus. I'm going to read that again. It is the constant, better way to say it probably because I'm defining the word. That's why I said it, but it's not an it. It's a he. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. So he is the constant illuminating. In other words, he gives light. Oh, I didn't see that before strengthening, enabling presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I remember uh, um, Kenneth Hagin talking one time when his uh, son was running track, Pastor Hagin, and uh, he's there running track and his dad was able to be there that time. And he's up there and I think he didn't realize his dad was there. And all of a sudden, his dad was in the stands shouting as he was running, run, don't stop, run, run, run. And he said, that was all I needed just to get the extra boost to go and win. And you know how he likes to win if you know him. <laughs> Something about the voice of your father, a father who believes in you, a father who knows your capabilities, a father who's taken his role and sees the potential in you and refuses to let you just fall by the wayside and not become everything that you have the potential to become. Somebody say amen. That was, <laughs> praise the Lord. He is the constant. He's always there. Illuminating, strengthening, and enabling presence of Jesus. It means to exhort or to urge, to incite a person to a certain action or emotion. But above all, the paraclete is used of exhorting troops who are about to go into battle. Well, I really have to emphasize all this because um, Wycliffe translation, which is also a very old translation, they're the first one that used the word comforter for the Holy Spirit. But when they used the word comforter, it didn't mean something that was down-filled and really soft and plush. I mean, I love a good comforter. Well, that doesn't give me boldness to live for the day. It actually makes me just want to cuddle up and sleep, and I'll do it later. It does not invoke responsibility. <laughs> it's comforting in that way. Yeah. Exhorting troops who are about to go into battle to accept the risk of battle. It is the word for a rallying call. It is the word used of the speeches of leaders and of soldiers who urge each other on. It's the word used of words which send fearful and timid and hesitant soldiers 
And, and I'm just going to quote him, sailors, <laughs> courageously into battle. The paraclete is therefore an encourager, one who puts courage into the faint-hearted, one who nerves the feeble arm for fight, one who makes a very ordinary man cope gallantly with a perilous and dangerous situation. The Holy Spirit is the believer's encourager, strengthener. It's the speeches of leaders. So think of how the Holy Spirit has dealt with you in your life. Have you ever had the Lord say, stop crying and get up from there? I have. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You just stand up. You take your place. I remember, man, we, we first moved out here and it seemed like you got like lots of uh, demonic forces against the planting of a church, you know. And you're kind of like, well, I didn't expect that. I mean, Lord, don't you know? We'd, you led us to come out. We're doing what you said. So I just assume that you take up, you keep your part of the bargain. If I just go, I, that's what I need to do and just preach the gospel. He said, I have given you authority. He said, you resist the devil. You stand against the devil. You submit yourself to me first, then resist the devil, and he will what? Flee. He, he didn't say, you know, if you're, if you're doing my work, if you're following my plan for your life, I'll just take care of every demon, every devil, every problem. You're just going to walk through life like you're rolling in a down comforter because you've got my spirit. It's going to be so wonderful. You know what? If you had all the money in the world and you had all the down comforters in the world, and you could set the temperature like it's been this week and the humidity level like it's been this week. And you're like, oh, this is wonderful. This is perfect. Do you know how deep that is? That's about this deep. Man was made for dominion. And man was made for mastery. And man was made to take responsibility and to rise up. And you'll find the only thing that's really satisfying in life is to get the plan and purpose of God and go after it with all the strength that he provides and all the light and direction that he gives. And you just grab, grab that bull, as they say, with both horns. You are more than an overcomer, which means you must have something to overcome. And your flesh wants the, comfort, the, the, the soft comforter. But your spirit would never be satisfied. You're made to leave a mark on this earth and to leave a legacy on this earth. And you're not going to do that by having, having, uh, uh, just wanting people to hand you everything. It just comes automatically. That is not the way of faith. Faith is a fight. We fight the fight of faith, and the Bible calls it what kind of fight? It's a good fight. It's a good fight of faith. Hallelujah.
With responsibility comes meaning. With meaning comes vision. So you get a vision for your life. Like you're here for a purpose. Somebody said, well, what's my purpose? Well, I'll tell you, one of the very first purposes that every one of us have is to live our life for Christ. Think about this. The, The speeches of leaders that'll take a timid person and cause them to step out in, cor- in courage. What is that? It kind of reminds me of what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He, he has his disciples, and he says, hey, I'm going away, but there is another one who's going to infuse you with courage. And what they didn't recognize or realize is he's not going to be with them only. More importantly, he's going to be in you. Now, I don't have to go like run and find where Jesus is so I can get some courage. I just look to the inside where he lives on the inside of me. And, and, and I'll notice there may be, it may be subtle, depending, especially it's pretty subtle and indistinct if I'm like focused on all these natural things and natural thoughts. But if you just look to the same place you looked when you received Jesus as the Lord of your life, you'll find that the Holy Spirit himself is on the inside of you in, in giving you words of courage that says, you're better than this. I have recreated you. I have united you to myself. You're not alone in this anymore. He that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Come on, the world is looking for something and they have no clue what it is and we have it. So Jesus said, wait until you be filled with whimpery on high. Power. With power from on high. I'm trying to draw your attention to this. Because if you've heard it before, it just could go in one ear and out the other. So you have to. Jesus said, he that has ears to hear, what should you do? Let him hear. Don't we have ears to hear? Well, so we must need to make a conscious decision, an act of our will. I'm going to hear. It's an act of faith. My sheep, Jesus said, know me. And my sheep hear my voice. And the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. And so we, we must make a direct decision. I'm hearing from him. He said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be, what's the power going to cause? You ever feel intimidated to witness for Christ? Well, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. You know the greatest definition of that if you study that scripture? It it actually doesn't mean, um, hey, did you know that Jesus came and changed my life and I'm telling somebody that? Sure, that's included. But the greatest part of the witness is how you live your life is different. 
You witnessed something that changed you forever, that has marked you. And now you're a different woman, you're a different man, you're a different little girl, you're a different little boy. Because you have witnessed something. People go through all kind of trauma and they're changed because of that trauma. They're affected because of that trauma. Well, this is not a bad thing. This is an amazing thing. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. After the Holy Spirit's come on you, you receive power. So, so many times we limit the work of God's Spirit to wonderful things. He said, I'll show you things to come. Oh, think of that in the light of he's a father that infuses courage. I'll show you things to come. You ever read Proverbs? Especially Proverbs to young men. Boy, you don't even go close to those sensual ladies. Let me tell you, it'll bite you. You think I can do this and get it and I'll be fine, but you don't know death is waiting. You don't know you'll actually end up paying some other man's bills if you sleep with his wife. Well, that's kind of showing you things to come. Potential direction. Well, the Holy Spirit will show you things that he knows is coming. Why? Because he is a father to the fatherless. I mean, the ultimate example of a father. If any of us fathers need to, need to find out, how do I be a good father? Well, look at our Heavenly Father and look at the ministry of Jesus. And you think in the ministry of Jesus, uh, did he do this? Jesus is like, the whole ship's going to sink. Great storm is coming. He is sleeping <laughs> in the bottom of the ship. And they're like, they finally go down. They're like, we better wake him up. They wake him up. He rebukes the storm and he says, that's okay. I know you had a stressful day. I know, you know, your government check didn't come in and we're too out to see. No, he rebukes them and he says, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? That sounds like a speech of a father. <laughs> kind of brings courage and correction all at the same time. Also love. If you love, actually, the word of God says, if you love your children, you will do what? Correct them. And then Proverbs says, he that loves correction loves what? Life. So James, when we read in James that you're taking care of the fatherless and the widows, I wonder what the beginning of James says. Let, let's look over at James. So that's the very uh, last verse in James chapter 1. But if we went over to the beginning of James, it says, James, a servant of God, verse 1, and of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, greeting. So he's saying, hello, all you that are far out there. Hello. I'm writing you a letter. Uh, my brothers, <laughs> how many letters have you had written to you in email or snail mail, some, some kind of form that started out this way? After they greeted you, so happy to be writing to you. I just want to tell you something. 
Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith, what happens? Works patience. Oh, that word is the Greek word hupomone. And that word hupomo means the ability to turn to greatness and to glory. Any difficulty or challenge or problem and to overcome them. That word hupomo is the, the attitude and spirit in a man that causes him or her in the midst and in the face of a massive storm, instead of cowering and turning away, to actually rise up, look it straight on, and say, bring it on. So the testing of your faith actually produces this character trait of God in man. It manifested in man. When your faith is tested, so he said, uh, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into all kind of tests and trials, knowing this. So if you don't know this, you, you might count it like great disaster and like, oh, it's a horrible day. I can't believe this is happening. Where do you find fulfillment in life? What would fulfill you in life? Where's the, greatest in life fulfill, uh, where's the greatest fulfillment in life come from? Where is it found? Sometimes our flesh, if we listen to our flesh and the, the echoes that come from the world, well, it's like, man, receiving. The greatest thing in life is receiving. If I could just receive more. If I could receive more praise, people would recognize my contributions at the office or on the job site or and the company, what our company's doing. If I could just receive more uh, recognition. Well, if I could just receive more uh, material things or money to get material things or if I could receive a greater position of authority. But Jesus actually said, there is so much more blessing in giving than there is in receiving. If a man give himself for the cause of the kingdom. Oh, you don't have to be in full-time ministry to do that. In fact, most people are not in full-time ministry. And a lot of people in it are getting out of it. You better be called and then you better be prayed up and feeding on the word. Um, knowing this, that the testing of your faith works patience, but let the word has all the answers. It works this in you. But let patience or hoopamone have her perfect work or her perfecting work. In other words, you got a letter. Well, you, you get under all this pressure and you're like, what's your flesh initial reaction is get me out from under this. He said, count it all joy. When you face tests and trials and challenges because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That uh, patience, excuse me, let patience have her perfect work 
that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So there is a perfecting work that tests and trials that if we read on, and we probably don't have time this morning, uh, that you find out, he says, and let no man say when he is tested or tempted that this is from God, because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt. And so the tests and trials aren't sent by God. Tests and trials are, are a part of the human condition, I would say, because of the fallen world. Satan is the God of this world system. Uh, that's in Ephesians. And so... Count it all joy when you face tests and trials of many kinds. And so what is your greatest fulfillment in life? Well, I can say this for myself. When, when I finish my house, I'll be, I'm pretty looking forward to that. Got a little, few little projects. And so like, I'll be pretty looking forward to that. Well, you might say when I finish school, oh, that'll be amazing. You might say, when I finally get to go on this vacation I've always wanted to go to, Dale and Elma right now are in Israel, are they? Are they coming back or something like that? So that's like a, a dream trip for a lot of people, especially a lot of believers. And uh, some people go lots. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's the blessing of the Lord. So, but some people haven't been. And so uh, you, you might look at that. But did you, did you know the greatest satisfaction and the greatest fulfillment in life is not having flowery beds of ease, as Kenneth Hagin would say. It's actually an overcoming by the power and the strength of God standing on the word. That you, you actually want something to overcome. You actually want a challenge. And you actually want to match the challenge with what God has given you, with who you have been created to be. And so if, if we direct our whole life to seek pleasure and to omit or cut out any challenges in life, you will never be satisfied. We walk by what? We live by what? And faith does what? Overcomes. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. By faith, the elders obtained a good report. Well, if you read Hebrews 11, well, you have who in there? Abraham? That liar? Sarah? Mockingly laughed at God? I mean, Rahab slept with everybody? So you see, like, but actually this is, we call this the Faith Hall of Fame. So you, you see, God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for the man and the woman who will live by faith, live by their trust in Him, live by looking to Him no matter the circumstance. I think one of the greatest things if I, could, if I could minister to a father, one of the greatest things to minister to a father is when you mess up, apologize to your children and teach them how to live when you mess up. If we create this image and this idea that is a godly father is a perfect man, number one, 
You are deceived if you think that. But number two, when your kids get old enough and they have a challenge that come their way and they mess up or they're overcome by it, you will have uh, impressed on them an idea that my dad was always perfect. What is wrong with me? And they can never live up to that because that is a deception and that is a lie. I'm not saying you have to tell them every little gory detail, but I'm saying especially like if you mess up in front of them, you know, uh, I spoke to one of my children two weeks ago, I think it was, and, and I was like, I just had a bad tone in my voice when I said it. And so then I, I went to him later and I said, you know what? I said, what I said to you was the correct thing to say, but the tone that I used was not right. Please forgive me for that. Well, the kids respect that. They don't, they, you know, it's not like they're going to be like, well, I'm not going to listen to you as a father anymore. But you realize that is putting something into them when they mess up, because I know they will. Not only concerning me, but more importantly, concerning him, their heavenly father. That they know when they mess up, they can go to him and say, Father God, please forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. That's not the way to live. And he will what? Forgive you, wipe it out, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So he is a father to the fatherless. He will infuse you with courage. So I just want the next time you have a challenge, uh, a, a, a difficulty or a trial, or your children do, just look to the Holy Spirit on the inside and see what he says to you and see how he encourages you. See how he infuses you with courage. Sometimes I've been at the end. You, you, uh, it, it, I've not been at the end, but it appeared like I was at the end. You know, every, every, uh, everything uh, from senses and uh, reasoning would say like, you better give up. It, it's not going to work. But then when I looked to the inside, the Lord said, no, you're on the right track. You keep going this way. You're doing what you need to do. You're doing what's important. And you know what happened? Verse 4 happened in my life. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You find when you turn, you know, when we receive Jesus as Lord, he's the Lord of our whole life. So you turn everything over to him. But then faith is not a one-time decision that you, you kind of make a decision in an act of faith that day and you receive Jesus as Lord. If you're receiving Jesus as Lord of your life, it's not Lord of that day only. You're saying he is Lord of my life from now on, I'm always living for him. Right. And you'll find as you um, live out a life of faith that there are daily decisions that we must make to turn to him and listen to him and ask him about the situation. That is the life of faith. And so we kind of make a huge mistake when we believe 
Well, I prayed 10 years ago and received Jesus as my Lord. Uh, you'll find sometimes show up in your life areas where you're kind of like, ooh, I'm really not letting him have say-so in that part of my life. Well, that doesn't mean you're not born again. It just means as you grow and as you develop, you, you realize and recognize things that don't belong to you. That's not who you are. That's not part of you. And um, one of the greatest ways to find that out is the in Christ realities. I am the righteousness of God in Christ, in my union with him. He has made me right. He has straightened the path, and he has straightened my life. And it is God's righteousness that I live in, not my own. Well, you kind of have to be infused with courage to take that stand. In my own life, one of the things that helped me the most with that is when I realized when, when I approach the Lord in prayer or even in his word with a mindset uh, of unworthiness or I just don't measure up quite, you know, or I'm so conscious of where I have failed or where I am weak. that really I'm saying I don't believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. Well, I, I do believe in the power of the blood of Jesus, and I would like a, you know, shrink back in huge ways from ever criticizing the power of the blood of Jesus. But the Lord uh, dealt with me uh, like a father. And he said, you realize when you act like that, you're saying that the blood of my son means nothing? And I was like kind of a taken back. I'm like, oh. I don't believe that. He said, well, how you're acting, apparently you do. So it changed me, like pretty quick. Well, we need those, we need those times of, uh, where the Lord confronts us and the Lord re reveals. You remember Isaiah? Well, he encountered the Lord, <laughs> and he said, the prophet of God, right? The holy man of his day. Boy, the Lord, and he said, woe is me. I am an unclean man of unclean lips. Well, you know, we're recreated in Christ, but I tell you what, when the Lord opens up to you the reality of his holiness and his goodness and his mercy and his righteousness that he has made you to become, you're kind of like Isaiah, and you're like, Whoa. You don't even want to move. You're kind of like, you are holy, holy, holy. You're, you're amazing. And then you, you realize, he said, be holy as I am holy. And he doesn't tell you to do something that can't be done. And so the blood of Jesus has made you holy, just as holy as Jesus is. And you start to realize, okay, this is out of this world. This is supernatural. So the Spirit of God is the one who infuses you with courage in times of great tests, great trials, great difficulties. Let's let him be who he is.
I'm a pastor. Some people let me pastor them. Some people don't. Just because somebody doesn't let me pastor them if they're part of our church doesn't mean that I'm not a pastor. Right? So I could just go to any of my vehicles and say like, I've watched Dave work on my vehicles enough times, I know how to do everything on these. <laughs> Dave says something like, well, it looks like you need some new brakes. You better get them within about two weeks. I have to look at the calendar. I think it's two weeks to the day like those pads wore out. I was driving to church and thought, man, he was right. They're coming in the mail, but not till tomorrow. So the Spirit of God knows every aspect of your life. And the most wonderful thing about him, one of the most wonderful things is when he corrects you and he speaks to you firmly, you know it is like so full of love. And so he'll always show you the way out. It doesn't say like when you mess up that the Holy Spirit will uh, just condemn you and make you feel trapped. Actually, he says he provides a way of escape. He even shows you how to return. And the, the more that we yield to him and his fathership in our lives, the more we can actually demonstrate that in our lives. And, um, you know, the world is looking for the very thing that it thinks it despises, and that is godly fathers. Stand with me if you would. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And maybe you're here this morning, you've never received Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. Um, God does not accept you because you do a bunch of good things, and He does not reject you because you do a bunch of bad things. The only uh, exception and rejection has to do with His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. He that confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father. He that doesn't confess me before men, I won't confess him before my Father. And so when you are making a decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. It's not based upon any good things you do, you, that you have done or any bad things you've done. It's based on everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus is. While we were sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. The godly died for the ungodly. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus saw you in whatever condition you're in and he loved you and he loves you right now. And he has a plan for your life that without his own spirit, you can't even begin to comprehend how wonderful it is and how fulfilling it is. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to set you free. He, he wants you to have a fulfilled life and a fulfilled purpose and to just be so happy at night that you have to rub your cheeks because you've been smiling all day because of how good God is to you. If you'd like to receive Jesus as Lord, the Bible says... If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, you will be saved.
pretty simple, really. But you must do it from your heart. And it'll cost you everything you have. Doesn't cost you any money. But cost you Jesus being Lord of your money. Doesn't cost you your physical life, but it costs you turning your physical life over to the Lord. That you're saying, I want you to be Lord of my life and every aspect of my life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you'd like to receive Jesus, just slip up your hand right now. Uh, we'll pray together. I'm not going to have you come up front, but we'll just all pray together. And uh, you confess Jesus as Lord. He'll come into your heart, change your life. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be recreated on the inside. You'll have a fresh start. Hallelujah. All right, let's pray this together. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus Christ is your son and that he died on the cross to take away my sins. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord. I'm going to live for you every day. I'm not living for myself anymore. Father God, thank you that you are now my father and that I am part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen.